right. Good morning. Welcome to Christ Church. So glad to have you here. Christ Church is a church about lifting lives, elevating Christ to church for those who aren't here yet. I'm so glad that you're here. I'm Pastor Andrew. Whether you're joining us here in the East Auditorium, maybe you're joining us in West this morning. Good morning. Thanks for being here. Thanks for worshiping with us. Or maybe you're joining us online as well. Thanks for being part of Christ Church today. It's good to worship together. We are on week two of a sermon series called Relational Vampires, Loving the People Who Suck the Life Out of You. And this particular week, what we're going to be doing is learning and trying to discover a little bit more clearly how we can best love our neighbor when our neighbors are vampires. That is to say, the people who are on the outskirts of our relationships. This is going to be your neighbor down the street. This is going to be your co-worker three uh, cubicles down. This is going to be the t-ball coach. This is going to be the mom at the PTO meeting who has vampire-like tendencies. We're going to look at and try to understand how can we love those individuals that are difficult to love. Next week, we're going to dive into one step closer. How do we love the people who might live with us, share the roof with us, people within our own family or close friend circles as well. Just up front, a reminder for you, uh, we can't have a full and robust conversation. Uh, we're going to be talking in broad generalities. There are a lot of specifics that go to every situation, but the best that I can do is offer up some guiding principles for us in these conversations. My hope is to allow our understanding to be tethered to some real practical equipping. The goal is to help equip you uh, practically with tools and tricks as well. We'll get into that later today. And just a reminder for you, we are dealing with real people. We talked about this last week. Vampires are real people with hopes, dreams, hurts, and they might be close to you. They might be somebody that you love. And so in my communication, I'm asking for a special measure of grace as we talk because I might be talking about someone that you love. And that's really what we're talking about, is loving the people who suck the life out of you. We talked about last week that the goal is not to destroy them, depreciate them. We are not out to be Buffy the Vampire Slayer. We are out to love the vampires in our world and in our lives. And specifically, if you're a Christian person, we have a special measure of calling towards what it means to love those who are difficult to love. Love in the Christian context is of particular importance to us. That word love means something really significant. In fact, if you were to summarize and boil down all of the various attributes and descriptors that you could give to God, the one word that Christians continue to come back to to help define and communicate the very heart and being of God is the word love. That God himself in his character and in his person is a God of love. Your God loves he loves this world, he loves the vampires, and he loves you. And so we, in turn, ground ourselves in God's love and therefore are striving to emulate his love and bring his love forward into the lives of others. We saw last week how that can even be costly. It was certainly costly to God. If you want an example of what love looks like in terms of God's love, it is sacrificial. It is willing to put the well-being of others before yourself, even to the detriment of yourself. This becomes particularly tricky when dealing with vampires, which is why we're having the conversations that we are. You see, if left unchecked, love and the application of love, the living out of love can not only become confusing, but we can lose its definition or its definition can get uh, reduced, minimized. We can find the definition for love. This happens very commonly, even out in the secular world, because there's so many different meanings and, and definitions for love. We find that it gets reduced to a more pliable or easier thing or just even a slogan. 
and all of a sudden you left with a definition that is more attached to a slogan. Here's a simple slogan I feel like I see on t-shirts all the time, on social, hashtags, love without limits. And if we're not careful, we can allow love to shrink down and lose the depth and the complexity that comes with being a true, real person. And in order to be the person God wants us to be, if you're a Christian person, means that we have to embrace the complexity that love demands of us. Take, for example, this phrase, love without limits. If we were to actually begin to believe that this is the fullness of what love is and what love means, it could lead to a very dangerous and unhealthy place, particularly as it relates to vampires. Are we called to love vampires? Absolutely. But if we somehow parse apart, parse apart love and limits and treat them as two separates that cannot coexist, we are in trouble. You have eliminated a vast portion of what love actually is and what love truly means. You see, love and limits are not mutually exclusive. In a world that seems to be so dedicated to polarized thinking and simple, quick uh, conclusions and, and moving through and, and tossing aside the complexity, we need to stop and pause and remember love is beautiful and complex and meaningful. And things like limitations and boundaries are actually an essential part of what love looks like and means. And we are then, therefore, able to apply those limitations, particularly in situations when we're dealing with a vampire. This morning, what we need to begin to address as God's people is acknowledging the role and place of limits and boundaries and seeing that under the umbrella of true, real love. Part of what it means to love people is to embrace boundaries and limits. You know who knows this better than anybody else? It's another mythical creature out there. It's not a vampire, but it is a mythical creature. This creature has eyes in the back of their head. They have the sense that allows them to know what's going on inside of a house, even if they're on the top floor and the kids are in the basement floor. And this particular creature can actually exist for years without sleep. I am talking about a parent. Have you heard of parents before? Parents know and understand the importance and how limitation and healthy boundaries actually coexist and are a meaningful part of what it looks like to, to love someone, particularly a child. Earlier this week, my one-year-old learned to walk. Do you know what that means? She can get around faster. And because she can get around faster, she gets out of my perspective and view faster. There was a moment earlier this week where I did a quick diaper change. I had fed the older two were at the table eating nicely. We did the quick diaper change. I turned to go and throw away the diaper. And by the time I had returned back and she was once again in my peripheral view, I had realized that she had gotten up, walked over to the bookcase. But for her and her interpretive lens, it was no longer a bookcase. It was a ladder. Do you know what happens when a one-year-old determines to climb something? They do. She was on the third step of her ladder, which caused this dad's heart to jump a couple beats. Y'all feel me? I growled the dad growl. You know what I'm talking about? I don't know. I growl at my girls all the time. It's kind of like the they know they're in trouble growl. Y'all maybe had that growing up. 
She froze. She looked at me. I looked at her, and I thought, telecommunicated, don't you dare. You do not get to swan dive off the bookcase. And I rushed over to her. I picked her up. I put her back on the ground, and she looked at me. And you know what she did? She cried. Because that's what they do, right? She plopped her butt on the ground. She looked at me, and the tears started to flow and started to come down because I had been so mean, so heartless. She looked at me as if to say, how come you don't love me anymore? And in that moment, as I was looking at my dear one-year-old, I admittedly felt crummy. Part of love is entering into uncomfortable situations, putting the well-being of others before yourself, and I felt like a bad dad. Because I don't like when my child cries. Does anyone feel good when their kid's upset? No. But despite feeling like a bad dad, I knew that I was being a good dad by applying right, good, loving boundaries, limitations. No, you don't get to climb the bookcase. That was me loving her. And in the same way, that can serve as a microcosm for how we need to navigate and understand love, particularly as it relates to individuals who are difficult to love, the vampires out there, the neighbors who suck the life out of us, the t-ball coach who's overly critical, the PTO mom who's always gossiping, the people around us that suck the life out of us also need us to love them. And part of what it means to love them is by putting up healthy and constructive limitations and boundaries. Because if you don't put up those boundaries, you begin to enable bad behavior. Perhaps you've heard that word before, enabling. It's a very bad thing when you enable someone in their bad behavior. If you don't put up those limitations, you don't put up those boundaries, then the behavior begins to be repeated because it seemed to be uh, permissible. It's received as being acceptable, and so they just will continue to do it. And if I wouldn't have told my one-year-old no, she would have been climbing more bookcases. Enablement in the very end, enabling someone in bad behavior is ultimately not good for you, it is not good for them, and it is not good for anybody else who gets caught in this collateral damage. Make no mistake, enabling bad behavior, it's bad for everybody. And so limitations and boundaries are a necessary part of what it means to love people. In fact, God himself applies these principles and gave to us the perfect example of this. There's no better example that I can point to than the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments are kind of a big deal in the Christian world. They're kind of a big deal in the Jewish world. And even in secular worlds, uh, non-faith tradition worlds, the Ten Commandments are at least looked at and respected. In fact, we've adopted many of the Ten Commandments into our own government and governmental policies. Thou shalt not kill. I'm kind of a fan of that one. I don't know about you. Thou shalt not steal. Do not lie. Do not bear false witness. These are all good, right, and healthy limitations and parameters that God gave the Jewish people long ago to say, look, I love you. And because I love you, here are certain limitations and boundaries that will foster the best environment for you. You will prosper and be most healthy 
You will be the best that you can be as you live under and live according to these rules, guidelines, and commandments. They are intended for your protection and prosperity. And so God gave them to God's people. That's why we continue to live by them to this very day. They are good. They are good for us as God's people, and they are good for this world. Now, sometimes people say, well, that's the God of the Old Testament. What about Jesus? Isn't Jesus all about love without limits? I mean, doesn't Jesus just go around loving everybody, and that's that, and that's cool? Well, you might be surprised. Time to whip out your Bible and read a little bit more. But Jesus himself actually regularly places limitations on people and their bad behavior. Jesus is not afraid to get in people's faces and to be upfront. Now, he does that out of love and in a loving way. But make no mistake, Jesus himself also places limitations on the vampires that creep up in the Bible. Here are two quick examples for you. Matthew 21, Jesus is arguing with the Pharisees. The Pharisees are trying to deal with him in such a way that he is, uh, uh, they're, they're manipulating him. They're using questions and conversations in such a way as to manipulate Jesus into a bad situation and into, into a bad location. Jesus will have none of it. He says, no, I'm not going to enter into this conversation this way. I'm not going to play by those rules. I'm not going to play your game. I'm not going to allow you to, to, to manipulate me and manipulate my disciples and those around me. I'm, I'm not going to do that. And so he sets up a limit. And so he actually reflects back to the Pharisees the same question that they put to him. And when they won't answer the unhealthy manipulative, manipulative question, Jesus in turn says, you won't answer? I'm not going to answer. And he puts up a clear limitation on what he is willing to allow in his life and in the lives of those around him and even in the lives of the Pharisees. Very well done on Jesus' part. Here's another example for you, Luke 23, where Jesus is in front of Herod Agrippa. He's one of the local rulers. Uh, he's, he's kind of a bigger dude. He's got a bigger personality and really has a sense of power trip to him. If you read in the scriptures, you get into the details. He's almost like a big bully. He's kind of like the ultimate worst nightmare t-ball coach or soccer coach, sports coach, you know, where they're like so above and beyond and overly critical and kind of a bigger personality to the point where they could be a bully. Please don't mishear me if you're a coach in there. Thank you for being a role model. Thank you for being a mentor. Okay, asterisk, grace in this. But it's kind of that personality that's so in your face is to be unhealthy and unloving, and they suck the life out of you. And they even suck the life out of the three-year-olds that are apparently destined for the MLB. Y'all feel me? It's that same kind of personality that you find creeping into Herod Agrippa. He's this larger-than-life personality that gosh darn it, he's the ruler, and he tries to pester Jesus with these questions. And Jesus just simply won't answer. He won't give credence. He will not enable this self-importance of Herod Agrippa. He will not enable and support this idea that you can bully people and use the power that you have been given uh, to, to steward and manage for your own personal gains or for your own sense of self-importance. No, Jesus just simply won't answer and engage with the questions. And in doing so, he's putting up a clear limit. Jesus goes so far as to say, well, I will not only put limits on others and I refuse to enable bad behavior in others, I will actually adopt for the sake of others healthy disciplines and limitations for myself. 
Jesus actually willingly takes into his own life certain disciplines, certain decision-making that he has that will actually, even though it's limiting him, it is done for the well-being of others. Take, for example, in Luke 5. Jesus is surrounded by, swamped by the crowds. They want more of him. They want more of him. They want more of him. And Jesus, to his credit, all of a sudden puts up a limitation on his own time and energy. He retreats. He says, I'm done with the crowds for today, and I need some alone time. I need some me time. I need to put up a barrier between myself and the exhaustion that I'm feeling. And so that for my good and for the well-being of myself, that I might be better serving you tomorrow, Jesus retreats in solitude and in prayer. Or take, for example, Luke 16, where Jesus says, no servant can uh, serve two masters. Jesus begins to talk about and frame up priorities and prioritization in people's lives. Jesus himself remains clearly focused on his highest priority, and he doesn't get lost in the small stuff. He puts a limitation on where his time and his energy is going to go. It goes to the things that are most important to him and through him. That's where he puts his time and his energy. And in doing so, this is all done within the context of a discipline or a boundary or a limitation that he welcomes into his own life. Therefore, if you and I are to navigate the vampires in our lives, the T-bill coach, the PTO mom, and the guy in the cubicle three down, and they are all unhealthy vampires, this sets up for us a paradigm that can be applicable and lived out in actuality. We need to learn how to put up healthy, right, and good boundaries for them, all in love, healthy limitations for them, and we go the extra step to adopt healthy disciplines and limitations even in our own lives. We go out of our way for them as well. In a very succinct way, my encouragement to you is if you are going to strive to love a vampire that might be in that circle of relationships we're talking about, it may take a conversation. In fact, I'm pretty convinced it will. You need to communicate with them. In order to set boundaries and set limitations, you need to have an honest and true conversation with that individual. Because if you don't, it will be received as permissible and it will simply foster the same behavior patterns. The only way to disrupt the behavior patterns is by interjecting a conversation. But how you have that conversation matters. Here are three guiding principles that I'd lift up for you in regards to that conversation. First off, you want to talk to a person who's a vampire, and you want to be direct. You want to, you want to talk to them you don't want to talk around them. If you're having a problem with the guy three cubicles down because they keep stopping by in your cubicle and they're super annoying and you just can't get work done because they're always there talking and they won't take the social cue of the cold shoulder and the uh-huh, uh-huh, and you're trying to ignore it. You guys, you get it, right? You need to have a conversation with them and, and talk to them. Don't talk to your boss don't talk to other coworkers or a manager. Don't go to the organization. Go to the person. Have a conversation with another human being, with the vampire. Start there. Jesus teaches us to start there in Matthew 18. He says, look, when a brother or sister sins against you, go and talk to them. 
Sit down with them and have that conversation with that person. Now, when you have that conversation with that person, you also can be honest. Uh, Jesus says in Matthew 5, look, let your yes be yes, your no be no. Christian people are people of integrity. We're people who are honest and true and people of integrity, and so that needs to carry forward as well in our conversations. So when that person three cubicles down stops by your cubicle, you're going to talk to them, and you're going to be honest with them. I see that you like to have a conversation. I also have a great deal of work, and I am responsible for accomplishing that work. So I need to take my time and energy and pour it into my work right now. I'm sorry, but I can't have this conversation with you. And that's it. You have been direct talking to the person. You have set a clear, honest, real boundary. And hopefully you have done that kindly. It's one thing if the person walks down from his cubicle, shows up in yours, and you look at him and say, you are annoying, and you won't take a hint, leave me alone. And then come back and say, Pastor, I put a boundary on, I put a limitation, isn't that great? My dear child, do this the right way. Be kind in the way in which you communicate. In fact, Philippians tells us in chapter 2, verse 4, consider others better than yourselves. We as Christians come with an attitude of humility and engage in the conversation in a kind and gentle way. I see that you'd like to have a conversation right now. I'm sorry, I have to be focused on my work. I have some deadlines that I'm meeting, and so I will not talk to you right now, though. And then you turn and you place your attention where it belongs. That is a healthy, kind, honest, and direct conversation that you can have with a coworker, a coach, a PTO mom, or whatever. Uh, these are caricatures, right? Please, please understand that. These are caricatures. Yeah, whatever it might be, wherever you might engage with that vampire, the neighbor down the street who always walks his dog at that time, have the conversation and do it this way. Now, let's look at some quick loving limits that you can actually adopt in your own life. Again, you do this for the sake of the other people. Things, disciplines that you can do, things that you can give up or sacrifice, it will be a sacrifice. It may seem and feel unfair, but that is the demand of love upon us as Christian people. We are willing, as an example, to change our schedule. We're willing to rearrange our time in such a way that it doesn't put us in proximity of, of these vampire people. If you know your neighbor takes a walk with the dog every day at 3 p.m., don't mulch at 3 p.m., okay? Don't go out there and check the mail at 3 p.m. Because what you're doing is you're creating a space in which they will want to engage with you and then foster that unhealthy behavior. Instead, the Bible actually encourages you and tells you, look in Proverbs 5, you've got to keep to a path. You've got to be clear. Don't put yourself in situations and circumstances that are going to be detrimental to you or detrimental to the people around you, the people that you'd be interacting with. And so in this case, when the neighbor comes down at 3 p.m. with his dog walk, don't go check the mail. Don't go mulch. If you know that the moms like to gossip after the PTO meeting or after the swimming meeting or whatever meeting you're at with the extracurricular, book a hair appointment that you got to go to so that you don't get caught in the parking lot. You've got a place to be. Use your schedule to your advantage and have a plan around how you can, in fact, love them because it is actually loving it is loving 
to not put them or you in that circumstance and situation where bad behavior can be repeated. Also, bear in mind your mindset. 2 Corinthians tells us, take captive every thought unto Christ. That is to say, be, be careful of what you're thinking and how you're thinking and the thoughts and the self-narrative that's going on inside the internal dialogue when you have a conversation, particularly with a vampire. Don't walk up to this person and think to yourself, I can't believe it, it's this person again, oh my gosh. And eventually you begin to think about them as a monster. If you begin to think of a vampire as a monster, you will begin to treat them as a monster. We don't want that. Instead, you need to change your internal dialogue so as to say, this is a vampire, I am choosing to love this person, and this is how I'm going to love them. This is my plan, and these are my limitations. And stay focused in your mind because your mind will guide you in your words, your communication, your body language. Take control and be careful of your mindset when you have these conversations and are in these situations. Last thing, never forget this. This is something that you will find threaded through the entirety of this entire series. In fact, I've said it a number of times already this morning. And that is to say that our motivation for this love, the reason why we are choosing to love, even though it's difficult, even though it's hard, we want to and must keep in front of us that we are loving these people because we have received love ourselves. We know that God has loved us. God loves you. And he forgives you. And he cherishes you. And he wants what's best for your life. And so in turn, we as Christian people, we love and we cherish and we want what's best even for the vampires of this world. We love because God first loved us, loved you. And so ground yourselves in that everything we do, these conversations that we have, these limitations we begin to employ, the schedule that we keep, it is all done as an expression of God's love. Next week, we're going to go into further detail on how to do this with a little bit more nuance, a little bit more clarity, how to have really particularly challenging discussions with loved ones and family members. So please come back and join us for that. But for the moment, let's pray to close and may you be empowered to go love people. Please join me in prayer this morning. Gracious God, we thank you that in this day and time you have chosen to love us. You love us in our messiness, in our brokenness, and in the moments that we even seem to portray vampire tendencies, you have chosen to love us through your Son, Jesus Christ, and that through him you not only forgive but renew and restore. We ask in that work of restoration that you would empower us and equip us to better love others in this world. Particularly, help us love those who are marginalized, who are hurting, that are broken, Help us love those that even are vampires who are difficult to love. Grant us the courage to have the right, good, and meaningful conversations that we need to have. Grant us the right words of kindness, the directness that we need, the honesty, and the integrity with which we can have those conversations. 
Give us wisdom and insight as we create plans around how best to love people, whether it's related to our schedule or repetitive phrases and mindsets that we need to adopt. And most importantly, grant that we would continue to keep in front of us the fact that you love us and therefore we are encouraged, invited, and charged, called to love others. Thank you. We humbly receive your love this morning and ask that your love would flow through us into the lives of those around us, even the people that suck the life out of us. Jesus Christ, we pray this all in your holy and precious name. Amen. We love.